Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a new episode of our e-commerce podcast. And today I have a guest from uh, Patagonia, the outdoor clothing brand, uh, Angela Clark, and she's the head of digital studio uh, at Patagonia. She's based in uh, Los Angeles, California. And uh, if you don't know Patagonia, so this brand was founded back in 1973, so almost 50 years old, and one of the major outdoor clothing brands. Uh, personally, one of my favorite niches as well. I really like hiking. Uh, so very interesting niche. Um, I would say a bigger company than, uh, than our usual guests. So it will be an interesting conversation. How are you, Angela, today? I'm great. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to talk to, to you today. So let's start with your personal story. Um, tell us more about your background. I uh, saw your LinkedIn profile and I could see you joined this company relatively recently. And I'm curious, what did you do before? I could see that you are very good at uh, building high performance teams. So I think that's a very interesting topic to discuss. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been at Patagonia going close to a year now, probably about 10 months. Um, but I've probably spent the last 10 to 12 years really focused on um, digital and e-commerce, um, driving business strategy for really some of the most iconic American brands. So Levi Strauss, um, I've worked for True Religion most recently before Patagonia, Pottery Barn. Um, so my whole career has been in retail. I started out um, as a merchandiser buyer through a department store program, um, moved into, I've done everything from product development, product design, marketing, um, planning. So I kind of know the whole world of e-com and I've done yeah. apparel as well as hard, hard goods and cosmetics. Um, and I just have always loved the direct-to-consumer experience. I've loved being able to connect with a consumer through photos and words and trying to measure their response and success. And before there was digital, that was a catalog experience. And so I did many years of catalog before there was e-commerce and um, this just shows you how old I am, <laughs> but, um, but it's been um, digital in particular and e-commerce in particular is really exciting to me because it's always changing. I mean, every two years, there's a new player, there's a new way to do business, there's a new way to connect with people. Um, and that's what keeps it really interesting for me. Yeah, that's great. So let's talk about Patagonia, the brand itself. Um, and here's one big topic uh, at this brand. So I read that uh, around 1% of the revenue goes to donations, if I'm yes. correct. And let's talk more about this. So is this something that has been in, in this company, the, in, the, in the culture of this company uh, since the beginnings or... Uh, and you know why the company does it because yeah. many companies they don't. So, what what's yeah. the thinking behind it? Well, um, it's a pretty interesting story. So the founders, um, Ivan Chenard and his wife, they kind of fell into retail and fell into business model. And I think you know they were outdoor people. They were climbers. Like this is there's nothing made up about their story. This is authentically who they were. Um, and they started building a business out of a need. Um, you know, he wanted a better tool to climb with and then he brought his friends along and, you know, it, it was a very organic, um, natural progression. And I think that that heart of Patagonia still exists today, even though the founders are now in more board positions, but, um, you know, they've grown a billion dollar brand off of 
um, knowing that if I'm going to be out there in, in the wild, I want to leave it as intact as I show, as it was when I arrived. And that was one of the reasons he in, invented a tool that was better to use that didn't destroy the rock face when they were climbing. And it just evolved from there and there. And so um, I think they were deeply rooted in, if I'm going to go out and go fishing, if I'm going to go climbing, I'm going to mountain biking, I want that area and space to stay as pristine for me as it does for the next two or three generations. And I think that organic nature of, we have to save the home planet and, um, became you know deeply embedded in everything that they do and so the one percent for a planet is uh one percent of all profits go to various causes um to fight the environmental crisis um and so that actually patagonia has been a leader in a lot of ways um and they were the founders of that that sentiment and um the other thing that i think is really interesting to me from the founders is they said, you know, if we couldn't do a business differently, we have to make it profitable. We have to be able to have an impact and maybe we'll influence other corporations to follow the same suit. And so that's exactly what happened with 1% for a planet. It's a entity now where multiple organizations say like, I'm going to be a part of this. I'm also making that commitment. Um, same with the latest, which was their announcement to give away the organization, um, which was giving away, you know, $3 billion worth of value, valuation of the company to an entity that's going to forever give away at the profits of the organization. Um, and that was, again, like no company's ever done this. It took them three years to figure out how to do it. Um, mm -hmm. And they're hoping that they're building a new business model for other companies to support. So I think they're ironically, it might sound ironic, um, anti-capitalist um, in a lot of ways. Um, so they're always asking, like, how do we just do things differently? How do we do business differently? Um, and that's been really exciting for me to be um, to learn from as I join this organization. So is this something that uh, the managers and, and the leaders, they actively ask uh, regularly that how can we do things differently? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I have... Uh, just kind of landed my, you know, digital strategy that I presented to the CEO last week. And, you know, my headline is, you know, how do we redefine what digital commerce, what successful digital business looks like? Um, because we're moving away from being in social and paid ads. And, you know, we feel like a lot of those spaces are very problematic from, uh, you know, a multitude of reasons. Um, and so, you know, they're asking me, like, is there a way, is there a business model where we're not on Instagram and Facebook someday, we're not on Twitter, um, we're not on them from a paid perspective already, but can we you know, do things differently? And I know right now that's a very scary question because everybody's business is you know, deeply rooted in those spaces, um, but it's an interesting challenge. And I think it's really cool to even just be open to those conversations. Yeah, as you said, e-commerce has to renew every two years. And I think, uh... Yeah, you constantly have to think about that, how to how to renew. But I really like this approach that you ask this question um, purposefully, not just because many business owners, they say do they do things differently. But when you look under the hood, they don't really do things differently. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So in your experience, what, what was um, what was a bigger pitfall or or something that you really learned from an experience that you learned from and not necessarily at this company but in the last few years in e-commerce what would be yeah. yeah um gosh there's been so many moments but i would say most recently um 
I was at True Religion prior to this. And I know for a lot of people going through the pandemic was extremely challenging. Um, and that was absolutely no exception for, for True Religion. I came into the organization when I actually got hired in. Um, some colleagues is like, take the job. They'll probably be out of business in a year. Who knows? You'll see what happens. And the you know, rumor on the street was they were in a very tough financial position. Um, and so that was a good challenge for me. You know, I kind of worked really hard to restructure the business model, um, get rid of, you know, any sort of services that were just, we weren't utilizing, wasn't effective, over expensive for the size and scale of the business that I had. Luckily, setting up that foundation set us up for when the pandemic pandemic did happen, um, we furloughed 92% of our staff. So all stores, there was literally, I think I had five people running all of digital and that was the only income stream, um, which was tough. So we went into bankruptcy in April. So pandemic started in March. We were in bankruptcy in April. Um, and, you know, back in 2020, right? Yeah, back in 2020. And um, that digital team, was truly the lifeline of true religion. I mean, we kept that company afloat. So it was, you know, how do you quickly reorganize? How do you keep up morale? <laughs> you know, I had people whose family members were getting sick and uh, we're still asking them to work extra hours and their colleagues are, are furloughed and um, and you're not seeing people face to face. You know, you're, you're trying to figure out how to um, be that cheerleader that I think all leaders have to be sometimes, um, yeah. but then also drive the business and know how critical it was for every day that we captured sales, but then also not um, project that onto the team to give them a sense of panic. You know, I think um, it was interesting when we came out of that, we actually came out of bankruptcy about seven, eight months afterwards. Uh, we turned around and had the most profitable year we'd had in five years, a lot of that driven by e-commerce. So I was really proud of that. Um, but it was definitely a struggle and there were people who, you know, had a lot of thoughts and feelings about <laughs> what happened afterwards and like, oh, we're now profitable and we're not making these changes and we're not you know, throwing cash at everybody celebrating. Um, but it was like, you know, we still have to keep people's jobs. And I felt really proud that we were able to sustain, you know, I don't know, 800 people were able to come back to work at the end of that. Um, but some people don't realize how critical of a state we were in. There were days the CEO was calling me like, how much do you think we're going to make this week? And I didn't realize that that meant, are we going to be able to people's salaries if we make our plan this week? You know, it was that critical. Um, mm -hmm. But I think for me, I learned that um, it really tests my leadership skills and how to, um, you know, lead in the state of crisis, you know, um, and, you know, I know it sounds a little melodramatic for a denim brand, but <laughs> in some ways it was for a lot of people. And um, I couldn't underestimate how important it was for them. You know, I'm, I'm a little later in my career. I always feel like, you know, something doesn't work out. I'll fall, I'll land on my feet. Um, but a lot of people don't feel that way. And so I think it's really important to be cognizant of that. Um, and so, you know, try my best to, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be positive in that situation. Yeah, I think COVID really tested many businesses and leaders. And what do you think, what was that, let's say number one thing, but I know there are multiple for sure. But number one thing, what would you say, how you could survive serve this period and even thrive after? Yeah, I think it's going to sound really simplistic, but just like showing up with your 100% self, you know, I mm -hmm. uh, 
was absolutely exhausted after all of that from going from, you know, bankruptcy to a profitability. And then we moved straight into like, let's see, I probably shouldn't say this, but let's see if we can sell the organization, you know? So then you're pivoting into a whole different space. Um, and, um, you know, I didn't take a lot of time off and, you know, it was just one of the sacrifices I made, but I really think that, um, that's kind of what I've learned because I, you know, I grew up in a pretty conservative Midwest family and I always had this sort of like, you know, authority is here and there's this divide between leaders and, you know, the people that you work with. And I think the younger generation has taught me a ton about it's okay to be your true self and show your emotional side and Less your side as a leader. Yeah. And I think that's something right? that they taught me, you know, through yeah. the George Floyd crisis and all of that. Like there were a lot of conversations that when I was coming up in my twenties and my career, we would have never had in a workspace, you know, and getting comfortable with that and, and knowing the power of that. I think I learned a ton from that younger generation. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can see the same. And in my company, we have uh, people from different countries. And that's another thing, like Asian people, they are more hierarchical than Europeans or especially Americans. I can definitely see that, how they manage conflict. So that's an extra layer, yeah. I would say, beside the, the age of people. Um, and on the contrary, so what would be very proud moment on your side a, a big achievement in the let's say since covid yeah and uh, yeah um honestly since covid i mean i i'm still pretty early in on my journey in patagonia and um i would say because they do things so differently <laughs> um, um it took me a little longer to like get my feet underneath me and and have a real line of sight to you know what's going on there but i think um I think what's, I, I was going to go back a little further to my Levi Strauss days. And I would say, you know, that was um, right now, you know, Levi is, is crushing it in a lot of ways. And I think I was there during the phase where they were starting to build the foundation for the success you're seeing now. Um, and so one of the challenges I was put forth is I had a domestic comp uh, organization. So um, Levi.com was just a U.S. team. Um, and that same team had to take on take on global. So we had to take on the European market, which was about 11 countries, nine languages, no additional headcount, um, and somehow managed to double that business. That that side had like okay. 100%. without so, any more people, <laughs> right? Just wow. keep doing, what you're doing, but take on this whole other part too. Um, no additional headcount, right? Another so, continent. I think for me, I was you know like, how do we do this? You know, and I think I. And proud of being able to um, help teams learn how to scale their capacity, but still not burn people out. Um, same for myself as well. Um, and, you know, help that, that other side of uh, Europe. You know, I spent some time in Europe to help develop that team and that into the business as well. But I think that was my proudest moment to like when I did leave Levi, um, there was, you know, a lot of I didn't realize how much of an impact I had made on my team and community. And a lot of people were really um, disappointed, I guess, or, or hurt that I was leaving. And I felt like I was leaving my family members, you know, I had developed this amazing team and bond. And I felt um, really proud of that because I think younger in my career, I didn't think I had leadership skills and I didn't think I would be a good leader. And I um, really learned that um, in my own way, I had that sort of impact. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So, Let's uh, go back to uh, D2C and, uh, and digital e-commerce. 
<laughs> so how how do you see the landscape nowadays and this podcast especially focuses on retention customer retention less on acquisition so how do you see the landscape nowadays uh, on the retention side because yeah. as you said ch things change fast so I i'm curious what do you think yeah i think um you know a lot of people that i've been talking to in the space are um, if they're not already deeply versed in a loyalty program or some type of, you know, retention, well-developed retention program, they're working at that at a rapid clip um, with a lot of changes that have been happening with Google from the acquisition side. Um, so I think for um, Patagonia in particular, you know, they there's always this dual tension because there's the sort of like, you know, we do business differently, but there are some things that we kind of need to do. And so they, you know, they are, if you talk to some leaderships and I said, I wanted to do a, a loyalty program, they're going to frown their faces on that. They're like, that doesn't feel authentic, you know, but in the same, in the same regard, it's, it's about connecting with people and community. So, you know, I don't use the word loyalty program in the organization. I have to rebrand it so people will hear my <laughs> message. Um, and so I think a big part of it is, you know, being where people are, I think there's a lot of companies talking about instead of um, doing paid advertising on Instagram or Facebook, like, are we building community spaces? We know that those, um, the group chats are, those group places on Facebook are probably the most active and engaged communities there. And is how do brands exist in those spaces in an authentic way? Um, you know, are we on something like Strava? Because that makes sense for an outdoor brand to be in a space where, you know, almost everyone I know who does anything physical is on their Strava. If, you know, if it's, if yeah. it didn't happen, if it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. <laughs> and I kind of live that life myself. So, you know, are we in those spaces? Are we showing up to like right now we've had epic snow, you know, through the Midwest, through um the, the north and northwest and you know are we in spaces where i was just in reno and i would say 80 percent of the people in the airport were heading to the slopes like are we in those spaces where we can connect with people um and i think for us we're building a business strategy around that i would say we're probably a little further behind than most brands but it's really about you know how to expand that reach and i think um you know with a lot of changes in social in particular, um, instead of relying on two or three big brands, it's like, how do we just create more of a spider web effect where you're in, it's almost like going from the mass you know, influencer to the micro influencer. I see that same thing happening in the channels with which we communicate and connect with people, um, which can sound daunting at times. You know, that sounds like I need 10 more people to make that happen. I don't know. But um, in my mind, I think that's a big part of it. Um, as long as you're... Um, really relating to people. I think people are more and more sensitive to, I'm getting an email that 9,000 other people got and there's nothing that says, even doesn't have my name in it. It doesn't have any sense of, people almost get offended now. If you send them something that doesn't like, you don't know who I am. You don't know that I'm not into, you know, surfing and I'm into yeah. snowboarding. Like, how dare you send me that email? You know, people are at that space now. So I think it's really important for brands to recognize that and, build the infrastructure and tools to be able to to communicate to people in that way yeah 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 i think z zero party data yeah is needed for that and then other things but the community building is also a big part of it and uh i think it's been growing and it will grow in the next few years i know many brands they use even discord or facebook groups different platforms to build a community 
and uh, the whole experience is just becoming more and more omnichannel. Um, yes. So these are a few trends that I can also see. So a p- more personal question again. So who would be your uh, biggest mentors in the last few years? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I um, I would say some of my biggest mentors are past managers. Um, and I think because I... Um, you are lucky. <laughs> yeah, I am. I think I am because I, I would say early in my career, I always felt like I was just like, I don't have any mentors. Where do I get it? I think now, I, I you know, there's so many different spaces um, and there's so many different organizations popping up. I'm part of Chief, which is a women's organization. Um, so I look for mentors there. Um, but I would say, you know, I try to keep those relationships with people that I really admired working for, you know, and, and it's not a ton. I probably have two, <laughs> two or three really great managers that I just like, you know, I'm thinking about this and call it and, and one I worked for 20 years ago, you know, um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, like most people, I've had some managers that I couldn't wait to never see them, their faces again, you know, truth be told. So I would say a lot of my mentors are that. And for me, I think a mentorship a lot of times is you know, who can I bounce ideas off of, thoughts off of, the sort of, you know, gut check, like, am I crazy? Like, is this, what's going on? And like, oh, no, yeah, you're, what you're going on, we're all been through, or that's absolutely, you know, normal, or you know what, you know what, yeah, there is something to be concerned about here, you know, and I think um, I've been really fortunate to work for some other really um, powerful female leaders, and maybe they not, they not have even seen themselves that way, but I saw them that way. And so I've kind of tried to continue to cultivate that relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a few of your past managers. Yes, absolutely. One from Levi, one from Pottery Barn, and probably mostly because I think they helped me see the strength within myself that I didn't see. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they're the ones telling me like, oh, you're ready for this next level or you've got the skill set. And I didn't believe in myself in that way. Um, And so I think once I was no longer working with them, I could kind of build that sort of relationship. Yeah, amazing. And it's good to hear that you praise them because, you know, I can see bad examples when the, the manager, they even abuse with their employees i'm yeah. sure you could see that and uh, yeah. and you know they treat them like like uh, subordinates but in a bad way so they yeah. are almost servants let's you know almost that kind of relationship and i never like that yeah. um while there are others who are in the they are in the background as a manager and their people they say really good things after they left or uh yeah. Or when the manager cannot hear it. And that's the relationship that I also like. So I think yeah. leaders, they should aim for this um, yeah. to, to be praised behind their back. Absolutely. So I'm curious, uh, what is your favorite podcast? Actually, do you listen to this <laughs> podcast? You know, I was big into the podcast before they kind of blew up. And so um, I'm... Uh, I'm really enjoying one that my brother told me to listen to probably for the past eight years. I'm finally just deciding to listen to it. And that's actually a real estate podcast called Bigger Pockets. Okay. Um, has nothing to do with my you know current job role, but I think um, like a lot of people um, trying to you know figure out that what your portfolio is going to look like as you um, transition from one phase of your life to the next. Um, and I love uh, This American Life, which actually 
probably was a, a show before it was actually a podcast, but I listened to it through podcast channels. Um, I just love the way they tell stories. And, um, and I just love that kind of just learning about, you know, you never know what the story is going to be about. You never know. And I think the way they tell the stories about people and, and life experiences is really um, yeah. uh, rewarding and enjoyable for me. American life. Yeah. I haven't checked. I, I will check it. Now I'm curious. Yeah, it's an NPR. I think it's a uh, yeah, an NPR uh, show called This American Life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my last question to you: What what would be your number one advice to e-commerce business owners, but more like marketing managers who have a team of let's say twenty, uh, thirty people, not not new companies, but not enterprise level, somewhere in between, let's say. Yeah, let's say 50-100 people in total at that size. What would be your number one advice yeah. if they want to grow and do things well? Um, yeah, so I would say um, I truly believe in, in experimentation. Um, but then at the same, it's a double-edged sword, right? There's always so many like shiny new tools. Um, but I think, um, you know, I, I, I stepped into SMS marketing I didn't think our brand was big enough for it. I was absolutely wrong in that. It was it was a very powerful tool. It was a true religion. Um, and then, you know, there's always something new and shiny, but I think it's always kind of grounding yourself on, you know, what are my overall goals and objectives? What's my long-term strategy? And then does this fit within it? You know, because it's really easy to kind of sp to spread yourself really wide. And I think the more that... Um, you can be crystal clear on what your strategy is and what you're trying to achieve, the easier it is to bring people along um, to, you know, support that journey and, and how not have people wasting time and energy on things that are not going to be impactful. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I think it's just retail one-on-one, but, you know, starting with the customer and, you know, having them be the central part of everything that you do. And I know it's easy to say, it's sometimes harder to mm -hmm. do, um, but, But that's that's it. You've got to listen to them. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a bonus question. So you mentioned yeah. the clarity, being clear about the strategy and communicating to your people. Yeah. But what if you have no idea <laughs> how to <laughs> how to at least seem to be clear about things? And yeah. Communicate yeah. Um, I would say. I mean, there's many times I haven't known exactly what, but I've. I, um, it's part art and part science, right? And so I think there's a piece of, you know, doing some research, um, you know, talking to peers, finding what other people are doing, if they're willing to share that information, um, and then kind of going a little bit with your gut. You know, again, I think um, I'm big into data. Like I, you know, I've always looked at numbers. I'm a numbers person. Um, and I think a lot of times there's stories within that data that kind of tell you um, where to go and what to focus on. So if there, if a lot of things seem overwhelming, just like what is one thing I can do that I can do really, really well? Um, and that starts to kind of create some momentum. So I think sometimes when there's just so many different things and it can be really overwhelming, picking like one target, um, focusing on that. And then even, you know, and I, you know, when you said the size of teams, like I've never had a team that big in marketing. I mean, I've worked for some big brands, but the teams have always been super small. Um, and there's always this sort of like, I've got, you know, 10 different objectives to do. They all seem priority number one. I have to pick one or two. And those other things are kind of like 
burning behind me, but I have to kind of keep going forward, which is not a fun position to be in, but I think it kind of teaches you that once you kind of get that momentum going on one thing, then the other thing could kind of follow behind. And then, mm -hmm. then you start to feel, um, you know, you kind of have to feel some sorts of purpose and, and, and process and that you're improving on something. And so I think that that for me really, really helps. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. Thank you, Angela. So, and also thank you for coming here today and sharing your story. It was a very insightful conversation. And uh, thanks everyone who watched us uh, today, the live stream, and uh, those who will listen to the podcast in the next months and even years. And uh, stay tuned, everyone. Every week we come with uh, one more uh, e-commerce uh, episode. And also in the description, I will put the links of, uh, of Patagonia and all of those um, links, the podcast that you mentioned, so all of those links, everyone can find those in the description. Okay. And thanks again, everyone, and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for having me.